This is the Right Guys Podcast, where we're trying to save the world one life at a time. And now your hosts, Josh Hammerling and Max McGuire. Welcome back. Another edition of the Right Guys Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. So happy to say that next to me is Mr. Producer Josh Hammerling. Josh, welcome back. Thank you. Um, It's good to be back. As I've said before, it's very hard last week for me to do the intro Mm -hmm. in a gruffy voice and Mm -hmm. then try and come back like it's someone else in the mic. So I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Oh, yeah, man. I'm glad you you held down the fort while I was gone because I went to the wokest city in the world and... I, well, let me say it again. I went to the wokest place in the world. Which used to be called the happiest place on earth. Yes. And uh, last time I was there, not this last time, but the time before that, there was lots of beautiful LGBTQ stuff. They were just really putting that out there. And I went this time and I couldn't find anything except for like keychains with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was Christmas time. So there actually had people that were singing Christmas carols at Disney World. I, yeah. I was. <laughs> Yeah, well, on listen, th- this is when they need to make that money. And it's not the LGBTQIABCDGAY community who is going to Disney World for Christmas. Um, yeah, and it was it was fun. Oh, I got to ride the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. That yeah, was that good? Oh, my goodness. You have to go check that out. As much as I don't want to send people to Woke and Broke It, yeah. it was amazing. Like, oh, I'm going to hold. That's all I got. It was amazing. All right, all right. Go there, well, enjoy it. If you I'll ever get, end up going, I'll, I'll I'll get there soon enough. Um, what this is kind of going to be an episode where it's out of the fry pan into the fryer mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome back. We're talking about Thank abortion, you. about the most controversial, um, divisive case that's come around in a while. The case in Texas of a woman mm-hmm. whose name is Kate Cox, wanting mm-hmm. to have an abortion for a baby who was diagnosed with T18, trisomy 18, also known as Ed- Edwards syndrome, mm. a genetic um, deformity, d- genetic condition that can lead to a-, a bunch of problems, but often heart defects, which may or may not be um, fixable through surgical interventions. She was blo- She was originally allowed to get an abortion by the lower court, and the Supreme Court put it on hold mm. and just issued mm. a ruling it mm-hmm. says no, even though Texas law has a law, Texas has a law in place that says you can have an exception to their abortion ban if your life is in danger. The Texas Supreme Court said that this case does not qualify for that, largely because her doctor did not attest that he was making the same do- diagnosis that any other reasonable doctor would make. He refused to do that. Um, he refused to put himself in jeopardy. He wasn't. He wasn't so confident in the diagnosis that her life was at risk that he was willing to take that risk, risk himself risk jail time yeah 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 um so they tried to this this case was not about texas's exceptions this case was an attempt to expand the exceptions mm-hmm. and as mm-hmm. we'll talk about in this case and mr producer josh has generously agreed to be a devil's advocate so it doesn't mm-hmm. just sound like we're a broken record repeating sure. each other what this case is really about is expanding the exception rule. And that's what the abortion movement, the left has been trying to do for decades. They've been trying to basically take the life of the mother exception and expand that to all cases of abortion uh, of pregnancy by arguing that pregnancy itself can be life threatening, which is true. We, the, uh, maternal There's mortality is it, real, mm-hmm. is risking it, but mm-hmm. that's not what the life of the mother exceptions are for. 
Mm-hmm. And they tried to get away with it in this case, and the Supreme Court smacked him back down, which I, I feel for Kate Cox. This is sure. a terrible diagnosis. Um, I remember sitting there with my wife through both of our ultrasounds for our children, mm-hmm. and they asked if we wanted to do blood tests. And we 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 did a test for the gender because we were, we were interested in that. But mm-hmm. we didn't do the test for like Down syndrome or anything like that because we're pro-life and we have no intention of mm-hmm. having an abortion. So there was no rush mm-hmm. on that. And any of these things would eventually be diagnosable through ultrasounds. So we didn't want to put the pressure on us as pro-life people to feel um, to have any of that doubt creep in. Mm-hmm. And he even have that as an option because we would have loved our children either way. They were born healthy. But I remember the dread of sitting in that ultrasound room, looking at the monitor and saying, well, that looks like a healthy baby, but you really have no idea how to read that monitor. Sure, sure. And it's like, it's a 30 second, 60 second window where there's a pause and you're waiting for that doctor, that ultrasound tech to tell you that there's five, it's 10 fingers, 10 toes and the like. Um, it's incredibly heartbreaking. But as we'll talk about on this episode, the question is, does this diagnosis justify one person killing another person? Which is what, at the end of the day, abortion is. Not talking about miscarriages, talking about abortion. Mm-hmm. Deliberately killing a human being because of a subjective diagnosis, which can be wrong. I come down and say it's not justified. And we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about this. Josh will play yeah. devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were you were away. So what what parts of this case were reaching you? Because this was all over the place. Oh, so when it came down, I, I saw the headline. The first thing I thought was that this is going to be on Max's radar all the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what really grabbed me is that crossing state lines to get the care, right, that she was after, the abortion, whatever you want to call it, whatever term we throw out there. And uh, the judge wanting to pursue anybody that may have been involved with doing that, which throws in a, you know, a whole bunch of questions about different states having different laws and how moving from state to state would affect a person, their liability and the risk and yeah. their exposure to the law and any of the doctors that may be performing that, right? Because, you know, wherever she yeah. went, she, she went just a few states away to get it. But now that doctor who who is told in the state where they practice medicine that there is no liability for that, or at least there is some status for them that it protects them in those situations, how that crumbles from state to state, right? Because you'd be yeah. facing a multi-state charge. And if this is a crime over state borders, does the FBI start to get involved, right? I mean, what level of, of pursuit by the law begins to happen? This is just like the, the first thoughts I was having. Yeah. I was like, man, this is this is going to really shake out weird with how we would prosecute people. And the very thing that you were talking about, because the heart of the matter is, yeah. is that the doctor didn't want to perform these services because of the risk to him, him. I mean, there was, there was definite exposure there. You know, yeah. one's mm-hmm. licensed to practice medicine like that is, is worth a lot of money and you, you put, you pour your life into it. You don't want to throw that away. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, I can answer a couple of bits of that before we get yeah. into the heart of the case. Yeah. Um, Texas law does prohibit, anyone inside the state or out of the state enticing or aiding someone in getting an abortion either in texas or out of texas and so the law hasn't caught up with all of these scenarios they're still kind of negotiating what the law should look Mm -hmm. like at the local level we've seen some counties 
pass legislation or consider legislation to make it a local crime to traffic someone through their borders through mm. on their roads to mm. get an abortion whether it's inside or outside the state mm. um i think what you might start to see is towns and counties especially around international airports starting to look at things like this um mm -hmm. but the the question is at the federal level it won't be pursued because the federal definition while the federal law considers the unborn child to be an unborn child there's a little footnote in there that says except for cases where a woman is getting an abortion so the baby is considered legally a child an unborn child except for when there's an abortion so in yeah crazy yeah crazy so that's how federal laws could come in for like a double murder if someone murders yeah. a woman and they're pregnant, child. pregnant. yes so that's that always could, been my question that could be that could fall into the law but if that murderer is uh, a licensed medical doctor and it's with the consent of the mother federal law doesn't apply so it wouldn't come but ultimately what texas and other states need to do is if if this baby is an unborn child which it is and if that baby deserves protection why should that protection only apply inside of the borders if you were to take a kid a born alive child and abduct him kidnap him bring him one inch across the state line and murder that child in another state you would still face charges in the state mm -hmm. you took the kid from true so texas law isn't written that way yet mm -hmm. but that's what a lot of people are talking about because if we're gonna if we're gonna do this if we're gonna say that this baby is a human being deserving protection you can't kill them it, there's a a loophole so wide you can drive a truck through it that okay well just just drive a couple hours in any direction hop on a flight and go somewhere else and then it's okay so that's something we have to talk about um and we'll talk about that a little bit more it, it, it's yeah. not all it's not all yeah. fixed in in law yet um what really frustrated me and, and and i i appreciate seeing it through your eyes because um it's interesting to see what reaches people who are on vacation and don't even want to see it yeah because that's how you know how pervasive the narrative is um what was very saddening to me was to see how many pro-life people, conservative people, wanted nothing to do with this case. There was no trumpeters out there. No drummers. Nothing. The, the normal people, the pro-life advocates, yes. But like, here's a case I'll put it up. It's Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter is yeah, she's... A conservative. Historically, she's said that she is pro-life. But on this case she had a different take on it <clears throat> share my screen oh. share my screen there um here's what she said she said the pro-life movement has gone from compassion for the child to cruelty to the mother and child trisomy 18 is not a condition that is compatible with life so this uh, let's unpack it yeah there's a lot there <laughs> let's unpack it so T18, I'll just say that because it's easier to say, T18 is a genetic chromosomal abnormality, also called Edwards syndrome. It, uh, this is just from WebMD. And there, there's lots of resources. Basically, there's extra chromosomes. Mm -hmm. And that can wreak havoc on a person's body. You can start to see certain defects, mal, uh, malformed bone structures and face structures. Oftentimes, it leads to a defect in the heart. Now, historically, that has been considered to be in, untreatable, incurable. 
And historically, what they've said is that 90 to 95% of babies born with this condition don't survive until they're one. That is how you would approach this 20 years ago. But what's interesting about this is when you say that, when you say that the baby has no chance of life and you encourage women to kill the child rather than give the baby a chance at life, it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy because there aren't any babies born to see if really only 90 to 95, only 5% of babies survive until they're one, right? It's self-fulfilling. You you tell women that only 5% of babies can reach one and then they all have abortions and then you turn around and say, oh, look, only 5% of babies reach the age of one. Question has always been, if you, instead of urging them to have abortions, and instead of only giving palliative care to the babies who are born alive, if you actually tried to treat the abnormality, the, the chromosomal defect, and treat the child, would those statistics change? And the answer, which you don't see at all in the media today, is yes. This is an article, um, 20, 2016 article, Survival of Children with Trisomy 13 and T18, a multi-state population-based study. And I want to scroll down to a very specific chart. I should have just screenshotted the chart. would have been easier. Here's the table. They looked at cases of babies who were born alive. And they measured T13, T18 diagnoses. And they looked at survival probability. How many kids survived divided by the total population? And of, of the... 1,113 babies who were born alive in this study with T18, they found that 12.3% of them, 12.3% of them live to five years. Now that is very different from telling someone you only have a 5% chance to live past the age of one. That's a very different diagnosis. All right. One, devil's advocate one, time. One in one case, one second, in one case, yeah. you're saying they have no possibility. In the other case, you're saying that 12.3% of these babies are going to special education kindergarten. That, that is the difference. That is the difference. And what is missing from this entire conversation is that there are cases of these kids surviving until they're 10, until they're 19. And the oldest woman in the world with, with T18 who turned 40 in 2020. So when you hear that, that this diagnosis is incompatible with life, I look at this woman who everyone said she should be dead and she defied the odds. The question I have in my heart is how many babies have been aborted from this under the, the doctor's diagnosis that they have no chance, who could have reached the age of 40, who could have who could have changed people's lives with their infectious laughter yeah they wouldn't be able to always care for themselves they'd need some help along the way but it's still a life worth living and it's still a life that can affect others for the better you can't help but wonder how many women apart from megan hayes could there be if mothers weren't told it's an automatic death sentence all right devil's advocate time yeah first off your your definition of life is just a narrow max I mean, what kind of quality of life is this person going to have up until that time that they do actually die, right? 
there's people that don't want to do that. And it also, it's going to affect my life, right? Because I don't want to live that. I don't deserve to have to live that. This is a mistake. I should be allowed to get rid of this mistake. You know, there's nothing that I want there. So, and I, I'm not going to be able to do this, right? Like, I, have you heard this before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, and just for everyone know, I, I wrote a book on this, The Conservative's Guide to Winning Every Abortion Argument. This is what's called a hard case. These are the hard cases. They represent a minority, less than 1% of all abortion cases. And yet, well, in, in case of diagnoses, probably a little bit more than that. They're a minority of cases. And yet the other side uses them to try and expand abortion laws to allow everything else to be permissible as well um appreciate the devil's advocate life is is life and when you're pro-life there's different types of pro-life right generally i fall into the category of innocent life needs to be protected so there's a lot of people who are pro-life who say you shouldn't be able to defend yourself with a gun i don't fall under that a lot of people who reasonably are pro-life and they're against the death penalty understand it i disagree with it because you don't equate it you don't equate an unborn child who's done nothing with a mass murderer who's done who's done something so if you recognize that life is life the question is do you have the right to take that life mm-hmm. and the quality of life argument people can approach it reasonably and and they look at this and it feels right it makes sense to them but human beings are not racehorses. If you put a horse on the track, he's running through the slop and he breaks his leg. The medical consensus is you can't, that horse will never walk again. You just can't fix the leg. Now there have been cases where they've been proving wrong, but generally if a horse breaks his or her leg, they're put down because they say it's not worth it. They'll be in pain for their whole life. It's not worth it. Even in cases where they've just won the triple crown, They where they're just going to be put out to be studs for the rest of their life. They're saying that's not even worth it. That's not a calculus that I'm comfortable with allowing anyone to make for human beings, especially human beings who cannot themselves weigh in. I'm against medically assisted suicide. I'm against it. But at least in that case, you could argue that the person who is dying themselves is weighing in and saying that they want it. I disagree with it, but they can at least say that they want it. In this case, an abortion, the the person being killed is incapable of weighing it. And it is someone else just making this determination to put it in livestock terms that they just need to be put down. That they just need to be put down because it's not worth it. And I, I, I caution people because if we live in a world where one person is allowed to just determine that the other person's life is below human, mm-hmm. subhuman, mm-hmm. unnecessary, un, incompatible with life, needs to be put down, deserves to be put down, should be put down. The question is, where do you draw the line? And I'm not comfortable with drawing that line anywhere. Your medical history follows you everywhere. How long is it before life as it's judged inside of a medium and outside of the medium become the same, right? I mean, what it comes down to is the choice, right? It's in my body. And this is kind of a devil's advocate piece here. It's not your choice to make, Max. It's not, it's not your body. It's no one's choice to make. It's no one's choice. It's mine. It's mine. 
I have the child. That's my choice to make. You can't. Slavery went out of fashion in the mid 1800s. You can't have a human. Um, that baby has a complete, unique genetic profile, <laughs> with the exception of little bits of of the umbilical cord. There is none of the mother's DNA in the baby. That baby is a unique life form with its own fingerprints, with its own retina. You could put that baby up to a retinal scanner and that baby would be able to get through a lock that the mother wouldn't be able to get through. Same with fingerprints, right? So this yeah, is a yeah, unique yeah. this is a unique human being. And unless we're willing to enter into the arguments that people can own other people, that baby is not the mother. It's not the mother. Powerful argument there. I mean, you make a solid point. I'm trying not to echo chamber, but that, that's a solid point to make, right? I mean, you cannot own a life and you therefore cannot take a life. This is where it gets really uncomfortable talking mm -hmm. to liberals mm -hmm. because this should be a liberal point, mm -hmm. right? You shouldn't be allowed to kill another person before because of who they are, right? A, a T18 diagnosis means that baby is disabled. When that baby is born, there is no shortage of laws on the books to protect that baby, to ensure that that baby isn't hurt, that that baby isn't discriminated against. We as a society have determined that the disabled among us deserve help and protection. It was Mahatma Gandhi who famously said that the true measure of a society is how it treats the most vulnerable among it. Now, obviously in that situation, he was talking about Indians and, and yeah. how Indians were treated under the British crown, mm -hmm. right? But it still is true here as well. The disabled among us are the most vulnerable in our society, the most in need of help. People who, in many cases, literally cannot do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is where it gets really uncomfortable talking to liberals. I know liberals who are gung-ho about protecting the rights of the disabled, and that's great. I'm all for it. But they, they say this up until delivery as if the disabled human in the womb deserves nothing. And you talk to people who are for women's rights, which again, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. While I was telling Josh and Josh's draw hit the floor, there's a practice in the United States, largely in Asian communities mm -hmm. called sex selective abortions. That's the idea that you have, that you're pregnant, you go into get your ultrasound. They tell you the sex of the baby, boy or girl. And then if you don't like it, you kill the child because you wanted something different. Now, in Asia, in China specifically, they had the one child policy. So there's a lot of data that we have available to us. And I go through this all in my book. I'm not going to cite the numbers, but they're in there. There's data that shows that when a, when Chinese families would have their first child, the odds of it being a boy or a girl were about 50-50. And that's how life is, 50-50 yeah. odds. You have coin flip odds whether you're a boy or a girl at conception. In China, a little bit skewed towards being a boy, but not significantly. Well, in China with a one-child policy, when they had that in place, it was very expensive. It was very uh, consequential. You could get punished for having a second child. So of the families that chose to risk imprisonment, fines, fees, whatever. Of the people who wanted to risk having a second child, the data shows 60, 70% odds of that second child being a boy. 
Now, here's the question. Are we supposed to believe that the laws of basic biology, of, of conception, of insemination, of sperm meeting egg and randomly 50-50 odds, are we really supposed to believe that in this one country with restrictions around having a second child, that they just spontaneously happen to more often be boys? No. The answer is that these women were going in, finding out the sex of their child, and having an abortion if it wasn't a boy. And what's really sad is even outside of China with a one-child policy, this is also seen in the United States, in Asian communities where culturally it is more beneficial to have a boy, both to take care of age, aging, aging parents, but also as it relates to the dynamics around getting married. Who lives closer to the parents? Well, many of these communities, when a man and a woman marry, they live near the husband's family to take care of them. So it's beneficial. So even in the United States, where there isn't a one-child policy, we see the laws of biology shattered once again. We're a second child in these communities. The odds of that child being a, a boy, 60, 65, 70%. And of a third child, the odds of that third child being a boy, 70, 80%. Well, well outside so, of the so like, that's deviation. Where, and and, and the, the exact statistics again are in my book you pick it up it's online amazon barnes and noble the like i'm not gonna go through and get the but it, it's the it's vastly different from the coin flip odds that biology says should be present so in a world where women should be protected and where any attack against a woman is sexist it's misogynistic a hate crime why are the same people who are advocating to protect women outside the womb so accepting of women being killed inside the womb for no reason other than the fact that they are female? It's, it's a direct attack on women. Yeah. Women not even born yet, right? And that's the grossest part about it because when does the, the medium in which you live in change the fact that you're alive? I wanted to be a little... Uh, devil's advocate on but i can't because this one it just i don't understand why living inside you, you, of one space you don't want another, you want you want don't want people to clip you saying yeah kill the women yeah yeah <laughs> right because <laughs> they would right but yeah. regardless of where i live wh what does it matter whether my life counts or not right you just happen to live in the body of another person until you're out right i mean it's still yeah. just a place to live you're getting food and water i mean everything a parent does so so why does that end up being the big deal and why go after women so hard i mean inside of our american culture where we value the the, the woman a woman's life so much that we accept a a practice where women are being openly destroyed and when that happens you have a population that starts skewing all male so birth rates decline when there's not a 50 50 that's why life is 50 50. Yeah. It has to do with reproductive rates, right? There yeah. has to be available partners to mate with or society crumbles, or at least you, you yeah. get a skewing of individuals and family. Yeah. You see a lot of changes, right? And then and China is experiencing that. So what we just talked about, how China has more boys in many areas than girls because of sex selective abortion yeah. or even not abortions, people would give birth to girls and kill them either deliberately or just tossing them in the trash. I mean, this is real. So now in many parts of China, there are more men than women. Wow. 
So you start having like incel culture developing, which is are are men who are anti women because they don't feel loved and 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 they they hate the fact that no one loves them and that there isn't a woman for them out there. That is a consequence, right? Yeah. There are real societal consequences from this. Before we move on, I, just to make sure everyone knows, I told Josh about this. In addition to sex selective abortions, there's also race selective abortions. A white woman sleeps with a black man, gets pregnant. That white woman is afraid of what's going to happen if people see she has a black son or daughter, has an abortion because she doesn't want a black son or daughter. The left says that right needs to be protected. Everyone else should be able to look at that and say, well, no, 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 no. No, right. no, we don't we we don't live in a society where you can kill someone just because of the color of their skin. That's supposed to be non-controversial, that that's just a rule. It's really no different talking about disabilities. These are all protected classes. And if we're not going to protect them, be honest and explain you don't want to protect them. Be honest about it. Be honest about it. You you mentioned um this is where we're gonna get a little graphic, so viewer discretion advised, but you have to see it. You have to see it. In this Texas case, the way that they were arguing it was because this woman had previous pregnancies. She had C-sections. She had scarring. And the risk was if she carried this baby to term, she might not be able to have another baby. It wasn't that she this was going to kill her. It was that she might not be able to have another baby. And that's true. Every time you have a C-section, every time you give birth to a baby, there is a certain element of scarring um, where you can, it's possible you might not be able to get pregnant again. It's rare, but it's possible. The problem in my eyes with the argument is there's the only difference between, it's like a live birth isn't that dissimilar from an abortion, except for I mean, like at its core, it is the baby has to come out, right? There are abortion procedures where the baby is killed and then delivered as any other baby would. They dilate the cervix and they deliver the baby. Well, the question is, why did the baby have to die? If you're going to deliver the baby anyway, why couldn't you deliver the baby alive? That's where the argument in my eyes falls apart. If the baby has to come out, why not give the baby at least enough time to be able to survive outside the womb and why not deliver the baby alive? The disgusting part that the pro-abortion movement doesn't want to talk about is what an abortion at 20, 21 weeks, which is where Kate Cox was, what that would entail. Because at that stage, they tend to not give birth to the baby whole they perform what is called a dismemberment abortion where they either kill the baby or don't kill the baby and then proceed to quite literally rip the baby apart limb by limb and remove it piece by piece. And when the baby does get removed in this fashion, there is a nurse over there who has to reconstruct the pieces like they're building a jigsaw puzzle to make sure that a piece of the femur or an arm bone didn't get left behind because that can quite literally puncture a uterus. So if the baby has to be born, has to be removed, why 
does the baby have to be removed through a dismemberment abortion? Why can't the baby be carried to the point where there's a chance the baby can survive and the baby be delivered normally? Well, in this case, they say if the baby has, if she has a C-section, she could never have a baby again. Heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. But the question is, does that justify this? It's hard to justify this for any reason. Because in many of these cases, the baby is alive when the dismemberment starts. The last thing that this baby feels, and yes, they can feel pain at this point in the pregnancy. The last thing they feel is being ripped apart. Why? Why? Who can, who can support that? Piece by piece. Yeah. Bit by bit. You know, when someone has to go through the act of cutting them apart, someone has to go through the act of pulling the pieces out, and someone has to go through the act of confirming that all of them came out. Yeah. It's disgusting. You know? But that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> and, and they never talk about what we're talking about. And then it's often, evil. how often were those pieces sold for medical research? Well, that's where it gets really uncomfortable. Planned Planned Parenthood and many abortionists have a little side business where they will extract specimens from these babies and sell them, though they claim that they're not profiting, yet they're making a lot of money selling them for medical research. And the uncomfortable part is of this is the abortion move, movement says a dismemberment abortion is necessary for the life of the mother. But there's examples in evidence of when they can profit from the organs or profit from the tissues. They don't perform dismemberment abortions. They, they try harder to remove the child intact. Because if you're going in there blind with forceps and just seeing what you can rip apart, you might accidentally hit the liver that you desperately want to sell. So that's where that's where the argument that this is medically necessary falls apart because the minute there's a buyer for this child, they'll move heaven and earth to change the actual process to make sure the baby is delivered intact or at least intact enough for them to go in and extract the specimen that they need. Medical profit on parts of humans, it sounds like a form of slavery. Again, this is something that is outlawed when people are born alive and already among us. You can't kill a child and, and harvest their kidneys. I mean, you can in Mexico. That happens all the time. But in the United States, the trafficking of human organs is outlawed. Except for, there's an exception, except for unborn babies. Except for, um, that, I, that, that should slap everybody in the face right now. The, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. The people among us who need the protection the most don't get it. And they say you can't profit from it. But you actually look at the at the organizations that are in this supply chain. They're charging tens of thousands of dollars in some cases for a specimen. It's like the size of a silver dollar. That's not just the cost to keep the specimen cold. That's not just shipping costs. There's a lot of people who are making a lot of money in this industry. And all they have to do is say, oh, well, these are expenses. Just like anyone who's self-employed tries to write off things so that they show zero net income. 
that's how this works too. So no, they, they have very comfortable lives making a lot of money, but they don't profit. So it's okay. All right, devils have a good time, but Max, it's just a choice and it's my choice to make. You know, I, I, I don't throw all these diagrams at me. Ultimately, I'm a woman, you're a man, you have no right whatsoever to tell me what to do with my body. Well, that is so 2019. I don't know if you knew this, but <clears throat> according to the left, men can have babies too. That's Boom, true. roasted. Um, you can't just say you're a man, you can't deal with this, right? <clears throat> men have every right to look at situations and decide what kind of society they want to live in. I, I don't want to live in a society where anyone has the right to choose to kill someone else. Now, in self-defense, we talk a lot about the Second Amendment self-defense. When you're talking about someone having to shoot someone, we're talking about situations where, under law, they have no choice, mm -hmm. where they're going to imminently suffer death or serious bodily injury. So the act of killing someone in our society, when it is allowed by law, the law basically requires you had no choice. You had to do it. Otherwise, you would have died. Inserting choice into that is an extremely slippery slope because, again, where does the line get drawn? Who gets to choose and who is the chosen? Like, I don't want to live in a society where you're allowed to have an active choice of who lives and who dies. Now, the exceptions, obviously, are situations of war where you're, where you're on a battlefield or a jury or judge in a, in a capital murder charge, right? a capital offense charge. Those are obviously the exceptions for this. But you, as just a, a citizen, our society does not allow you to choose to kill anyone legally unless you are a pregnant woman and that other person is a child. Again, it's one of those exceptions mm -hmm. that we're just supposed to stomach and accept. Which I find, I mean, fascinating, but also kind of disgusting because now that choice goes into hands. And if I, here's another devil's advocate question. I will put, what happens when we put a, a, a group of people who are, are the most learned, the most scholarly and the most medically trained to be the ones that make those decisions. We'll put it in the hands of people who, who have the capacity to make those kind of choices for the better of society, society. They're out there and we will pick them, right? We'll give them that power. And I'm okay with that devil's advocate point go that then you start getting into the the feared death <clears throat> panels under the Obamacare socialized medicine proposals Ooh. the idea that you could have cancer and your case goes before a panel and the panel says oh he has cancer but he's a smoker so it really isn't worth it for society to pay for his cancer treatments because he's just going to keep smoking he's just going to get cancer again that's the fear of death panels or we see it in Canada where they have medically assisted suicide. I think their acronym, they have an acronym, it might be MAD. And what we've seen there is the law now allows for homeless people to qualify for medically assisted suicide on the basis that their life as a homeless person is stressful, it's depressing, and they can't see a future in it. So rather than society lifting these people up, society has actually in Canada has created a mechanism for the homeless and the and the disabled to end it, where it's actually become profitable. And you start looking at what Canada's going through. Canada's going through a housing crisis, housing shortage, where people literally, there's not enough places for people to live. Lots of reasons for that. 
you could understand how it's far easier to get the people who are who need the houses or who are living in the houses to kill themselves than it is to create solutions to make more people have houses so it it's the conspiracy kind of theory in it but these things are happening simultaneously and and the question is do we want to live in a society where that's the norm Mm -hmm. where it's okay where a doctor can sign off on a suicide of someone who's homeless just because they don't see any future in it right i just don't want to do it anymore i mean how many people have woke up thinking to themselves i just don't want to do it anymore but you you still have to get through your day you still have to move on i could see how life on the streets could be tough but i'm not willing to kill somebody over it i mean it's like the world economic forum dream come true like getting rid of the lowest least productive members of society you know, they always, you know, yeah. it's been part of the things that they like to talk about. And suddenly we start seeing laws pop up that reinforce that, which is scary. But that is the, the weakest of our societies, those who do not have wealth of any kind. And we're just and so willing to throw the them Gandhi out. Quote. That's the Gandhi quote. The yeah. measure of a society, a society's measure, its, its value, its worth, its morality is measured by how it treats its most vulnerable. And it really is true. You look at, you look at like apartheid South Africa. You measure the South African regime at that time by how it was treating its own citizens horribly. Yeah. Right. This isn't supposed to be controversial. You protect the vulnerable from the people who have power over them and the ability to hurt them or harm them. But again, there's a little footnote. Didn't know this in all cases, except for the unborn child. That's, that's the left's argument. Apparently. So this title, this, this word or, or this tag called unborn child makes you less than human. So if I was to just start calling you by what this arbitrary name is that you are less than human, does that tag then apply later to people outside of the womb? I mean, what, what, what's special about the womb that says that the moment you're out of it, you're your person, right? What it, yeah. Well, there, there's, I put this in my book and I highly, I'm not just trying to hawk books. Like I'm not just trying to sell yeah. books. Like every book sold, I, I get to bring my kid to get like a happy meal. I'm not profiting a ton of this. I wrote this because it hurts to see so many people who are pro-life, but they can't advocate. No fault. They just don't know how to do it. Yeah. They don't know how to approach these tough cases and make the argument. So I, I put this all in my book. Link is in the description um, to try and make it so that when these cases come up, you can have a very real argument and real discussion about it. Um, sorry, I just, I completely forgot your question. <laughs> That's okay. like the medium again, as soon as somebody's out of a, an oh, arbitrary yeah. area, it becomes a human versus not human. You're what human what, or you're what not. this tag of unborn makes you vulnerable? So our laws deal with humans and non-humans. There have been a lot of efforts in recent years to look at other species of animals who have near human intelligence and arguing that they deserve similar protections talking about things like apes, chimpanzees, dolphins, very intelligent elephants, very intelligent creatures. Elephants, like the stories about elephants oh, are yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Where there there was a there was a, I believe there was a case where there was an elephant who was poached and the elephant um, died and the poacher also died when the they had a funeral for the poacher. The other elephants went and killed the people at the funeral for the poacher 
Like, so th these are these are incredibly intelligent animals. And so there have been efforts in recent years to afford them protections that we wouldn't necessarily afford to other animals of mm. of a lesser intellect. Right. Um, there's different ways of defining humanity, personhood. We don't have time to get into all of them, but like yeah. the baby is a human throughout its entire development. It's not a different species. It doesn't change species right you cannot give birth to an animal that isn't the same species as you um with very rare exceptions for non-humans humans it's a human it's a human now if you're asking whether it's a personhood there's different definitions of personhood and that and there isn't really any good answer like one of the examples that they give is sentience the ability to understand your place in the world around you well that's really hard to accept as the definition of personhood because the way that traditionally they've defined sentience is what's called the mirror test if you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can recognize that you're looking at yourself and not just someone else that's a test for you understand that you are you and you can see yourself in the mirror dogs can't always do this monkeys can babies can't until a certain stage of their development as toddlers so obviously we don't want to live in a world where newborns aren't persons so it can't be sentience otherwise you're endorsing the killing of newborns for, for being non-persons yeah. right no murder still murder laws still apply to them it's the same with no matter how you want to define personhood yeah it isn't clear-cut and no matter how you define it it would result in people who are very clearly persons humans losing their personhood like you're, you're you're at a you're at a hockey game and a puck flies over the the glass hits you in the head you're knocked unconscious you're put into a coma mm -hmm. the doctor says uh, you might never come out of that coma there's an argument that you've lost sentience yeah and that brain activity can die so someone can walk in and pull the plug on you mm -hmm. no you're a person you're still a person someone's getting uh, the other things like heartbeat we need a heartbeat heartbeat well are we telling are we saying that someone who goes in for bypass surgery where the doctors quite literally stop their heart are they no longer a person no they still have rights right. under the law they're still a person so there's right. really no easy way to define it the easiest way is that a human is a person period period the operating and system was installed the moment of conception the mm -hmm. operating system then continues its work until you reach a full-fledged adult. That is how the system works. So yeah. that, that's how what I like it into. The operating system was booted up. There is a, a consciousness. If you were done the same thing with like an AI, right? And it starts mm -hmm. to produce itself from this really small, tiny little thing that it is inside of its own computer, right? And it gets to a certain point where it wants to get out and it does. And it continues the work of the operating system from inside of there or outside. It is is formed. It is acted just like life. Yeah, and that's a lot of people would probably agree with that analogy. So humans are the same thing. You've got the small operating system that just starts running, and it's going to go through everything it needs to be born to okay. come out because it decide it, it is a life. Yeah, where the operating system boots up and goes. To expand on that even more, <clears throat> if the human is an operating system at the moment of conception, the entire file is compressed into a zipped drive zip that's the, absolutely because that's a really at the do. moment of conception there's certain things that you can change about yourself maybe you eat and you get fat maybe you don't eat you get skinny right 
Maybe you get your vitamins and you get a little bit taller. But generally, who you will be in your life, the core of it is des- is designed at conception. You know what color yeah. your eyes will be, generally what color your hair will be, right. whether you'll be shorter or taller, again, with some margin for error for nutrition, whether you will be generally fatter or skinnier, whether you'll be a boy or a girl, what your fingerprints will look like, what your retinal scan will look like, whether you'll be good at certain things just innately, who you are is there at the moment of conception. So yeah, I like it. If, if it's if you're an, it's an operating system, it's a program, that program at conception might just be a megabyte, one megabyte. But when you get into that zipped folder, you realize that you have terabytes of data that have been compressed down yeah. and, and are ready to be expanded upon. And an operating system that's capable of change through external programming. Yeah, yes. Which means that it feels that external programming even in the womb. Yeah. Because we'll argue all day that if artificial life shows up and we see it and it jumps mediums, it's life. I mean, there's already plenty of computer scientists who will make that assertion the moment that it becomes self-aware. You know, it, it, it would be given provisions of life, but yet we wouldn't do that to something that's organic inside of a, another medium, right? It, it wouldn't be there. And all an effort for consumption, right? I mean, if, if they're going after pieces, they're consuming. Consuming. Yeah. I, I want to get back to that. We as a society love to consume the parts for biomedical research. It is a form of conspicuous consumption. I love that old word from the anthropology. And, and medical research. Uh, yeah. I, this might get us taken mm-hmm. down off of YouTube. I don't know if they've mm-hmm. accepted the truth or not yet, but the vast mm-hmm. majority of medicines over the counter and behind the counter in some way, shape or form have been tested on, mm-hmm. on cultures, cellular cultures that trace their lineages back to abortions where a, a baby has been aborted. They, mm-hmm. they capture the, the stem cells because when you're a baby, these cells are very good at replicating, very good at changing to meet the needs of the baby that's growing. So most of these cultures trace their lineage back to abortions, the cell cultures that they use to test medications on. Well, it's crazy because it's like they love to clone these pieces and these pieces never had humanhood to begin with. So now you can just use them in biomedical research because they're not actual yeah. persons, even though at one point it was like, does that operating system stay there? There's so many what is what is the soul, right? Yeah. Other than yeah. God's operating system for our, our, our bodies. We just happen to be the, the hardware until you know it's like the matrix we return to the source right yeah go back to god well for the unborn we know that around 20 21 weeks you start to see when the baby is sleeping you start to see rapid eye movements which is a sign of rem sleep yeah which is a sign of dreaming so it is it is not beyond the realm of possibility because obviously we, we don't know what the baby's dreaming about but in the womb we can see at stages of development really uncomfortably the same stage of development that kate cox just went to get an abortion in she was in her 21st week the baby can dream now the baby's understanding of the world around him or her is very limited but the baby can hear the baby can see if you push against the baby the baby can feel that see that push back and it, it's almost like Plato's allegory of the cave, if you remember from Plato's Republic. He, he presented this hypothetical of people being chained inside of a cave, and they could only look at the back of the cave. And behind them was a great fire. And there were people who had these little puppets in front of the fire, and they made shadows on the wall. And in that cave, the prisoners, their entire concept of reality was based on what they could see on the cave wall. 
it was it was it reflected what was behind them but it wasn't the full picture and it wasn't until they left the cave that they could actually see the world for what it was in the womb the baby can only see little bits of light little bits of so it's very similar right but they still have a perception of the world it might be incomplete it might be wrong it is wrong but they still have a perception and just because it isn't as vast as ours doesn't mean that they don't understand there is a world and don't understand that they have a place in it they might not be able to say it as eloquently as i just talked about or, or really rationalize it or explain it but they understand that they are in a world it's much smaller than they'll than they'll come to realize and it's much bigger than they'll come to realize but they still understand it and that is again it's saying that it's not a human when the evidence suggests the baby's dreaming yeah have you ever heard of the concept of angel babies amongst cultures especially in africa i Things think so share it share it so the idea is that we enjoy a really low infant mortality rate in the united states it's really really low in other countries it can be high right and Anytime that you have many children in a place with high infant mortality rate, if the child dies after birth, it's called an angel baby. You know, it was just, it wasn't meant to be with us. It was meant to go to heaven. But the point was, is that during those pregnancies, you would never get rid of the child as while being pregnant. You would let it be born because it was a person, right? You wouldn't want to lose the child because it was really, really special if you lost it afterwards. It would become an angel baby. And it became signs of not like, hey, you wouldn't wear it, want to wear it as a badge, but your family was blessed with angel babies, right? But the point yeah. was they always let it be born because you had to see whether it was an angel that was going to go to heaven or it was just a kid that's going to stay with you until it moves on to be an angel. But, you know, there is this concept of letting the children at least try to create a life for themselves if they if they don't make it then, then let them go you know and that, that's how you deal with it culturally yeah. but at least give them a shot i want to share you know? something with you um i started reading it before coming on i couldn't but it seemed like something that should be read it's a similar situation and um, this is a woman who i believe her name is sarah talking about her daughter beatrix elizabeth um so she, she posts on, on Twitter now, X. Uh, this is my daughter, Beatrix Elizabeth. Today, 12-13, is her 13th birthday. We carried her for 34 weeks, hoping and praying she would be able to stay with us, but knowing most likely she wouldn't be. And that is the picture of the baby. We were treated terribly by medical professionals. We had very little support. People couldn't understand why we were choosing to continue our pregnancy, but for us, there was no question. She was our daughter, no different than any other any of our other, other children we would walk through the fire to protect her she was born 12 13 2010 she did not suffer she was loved and cared for just like any other child would be she lived an hour and 47 minutes before continuing her journey home i cannot wait to meet her there when my time here ends yeah it's powerful powerful stuff i'm i'm yeah I'm, you get really yeah you get really choked up by that but they had a baby they loved it for as long as it was alive. Then you let it go to heaven. That's what that's what you do. Life and death are both part of life and death. I mean, you, you've got to learn how to understand that. I at least want to give a kid a shot. And yeah. I don't care if that shot lasted an hour and 47 minutes. I had my kid for an hour and 47 minutes. I'll take every minute. 
And as a parent, that's when you know how precious it is because it doesn't matter. It's your baby. Yeah, right. we, we talked about this earlier. This diagnosis, T18, what the Texas case uh, involved, a, a chromosomal anomaly. We talked earlier about um, there being five-year-old, 10-year-olds, 19-year-olds, even as I'll put back up on the screen, um, a 40-year-old with T18. And there's varying levels of T18, but T18. The idea, I, I, I don't see how you could look at this. And yes, the odds of that baby reaching five are one in eight. I get that. The odds of that reaching baby reaching 10, probably much less. 19, much less. 40, as in this case. She's the second oldest person with T18 alive. As long as those odds are not zero, I don't understand how it is moral, ethical, or legal to kill the child. What we just read from that woman, her testimony was heartbreaking. I started welling up. It's heartbreaking. But to see that there's so many other people out there who are, are actively encouraging for a baby like that to be prematurely killed, that it's somehow better to kill the baby rather than to love that child for as long as you possibly can that that's somehow preferable, that's somehow more moral and ethical. It is, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And I, I don't want to live in a society where anyone is allowed to make that choice. It's not a choice. I, I won't go down that slippery slope. I won't. And, and the worst thing we're almost out of time, but in my book, I, I talk about it. It's, um, if you, if you talk about, if you research and, and read about conflict resolution in places like we've talked about earlier, South Africa, what the literature says is that there is cyclical victimhood. Being a victim far too often causes people to turn around and victimize others. It's a very normal response. It's a very human response. Receiving bad news, it is very, I can understand how someone could receive a diagnosis like this and say, okay, let's go with it, right? Similar to someone who's just been raped. So I've been raped. Talk about why, the, well, well, should a rape victim be forced to carry her rapist child? The question is, should someone who is victimized have the right to victimize someone else. And that is at the heart of this entire debate. Whether anyone, when anyone has the right to victimize someone else, to kill someone else. And I believe the answer is no, with rare exceptions in terms of self-defense and, and capital punishments. I believe the answer is no. And I don't want to live in a society where, where it's open season. Because that line, if you, if you allow that line to be drawn, it will not stay there. If you allow a line to be drawn that proclaims that some among us are less than. Josh, you've read, you, you're an anthropologist by trade. You know far about the us-them dichotomy, how easy it is to, for cultures to view the other as, as less than. Doesn't take much. 
I don't like bringing it up because it's reductio ad Hitlerum. It is a logical fallacy comparing everything to Hitler. But the minute you allow anyone among us to be labeled as subhuman, it is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when you reach something like the Holocaust. Because if you're willing to say that these people are subhuman, as I said, that line will shift. Maybe not in your lifetime, maybe not in the next lifetime, but it will shift. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the final word. Remember that when they deal with abortion, they sell the pieces for consumption and gain. And if that doesn't disgust you, I don't know what doesn't, what would. But every time I look at a cultures around the world, every time humans start to consume themselves and consume the children, the gods have a tendency to return and be very angry with those who allowed it. So it's time to figure out where you stand. Absolutely. So everyone hit that share button. The goal of this was to try and educate people so that when they're confronted by a case like what we just saw in Texas, they can defend life and not feel uneasy or scared about taking a very hard stance, but still the right stance. And I recommend if you you haven't already, check out my book, The Conservative's Guide to Winning Every Abortion Argument, 600 pages, 618 unique uh, footnotes for sources. Um, It's not a money thing for me. I I just want as many people to be as educated on this issue as possible so that when something like this comes into the news, everyone doesn't just hide and allow all the falsehoods to, uh, to percolate. Well, that's it for this edition of the podcast. Great to have you back, Mr. Producer Josh. Uh, If you like the podcast, everyone make sure you subscribe, hit that thumbs up button, share, share, share. And we try to make this as audio friendly as possible. Even if you watch us live on rumble or YouTube or Twitter, um, please do check out the audio edition of the podcast. Really easy. Subscribe to that set up to auto download. You can listen as you're commuting or driving to or from work. That's it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And I am Josh Hammerling. Remember everyone, the right to take back the fight to take back our country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stamp and fight together. See you next time. See ya.